This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. Hey, Andrew, I have a question for what you. What is it? Why the last man? <laughs> why the last man? Why the last man? Why, why, comma, the last man? Why the last man? Why the last dance? Why the last man? <laughs> Welcome to our book podcast. Why the last man? <laughs> Why the last man? We're where. Mm. Welcome to our book podcast, where each week we talk about a book that we have not read before. We tell the other person about it, and you get to listen along at home or wherever you take your podcasts. That's it. That's what I got. Um, That's Andrew, the tweet. <laughs> what what book did you read this week? I read Why the Last Man. Why the Last Man? Why the Last Man is a... (laughs) We just did that. I don't know how I'm supposed to... I think like Why the Last Man is is a flat intonation. Really got to hit that colon, yeah. It is a a 60-issue graphic novel. Well, it's a graphic novel now. It was just comic books, and then they bound a bunch of them together to make it into a graphic novel. But yep. it ran as uh, sixty issues uh, by published by Vertigo from the year two thousand two to two thousand eight. It was uh, written by Brian K. Vaughn and uh, illustrated primarily by Pia Guerra, though there are a bunch of like colorists and other people who worked on this book. Yeah, two primary folks I saw get put on other covers are Goren Suzuka and Paul Chadwick, but I know that well, they're so a bunch that's, of... Well, so that is cover art, and that's oh, like really? different from the the work of just like inking and coloring the pages. There's a like a credits thing on the last page of the thing that has like Pia Guerra as the penciler. Um, man, I can't read everybody's signatures, but we've got <laughs> Lee Luffridge as a colorist. Okay. Got a letterer with a messy signature. Got a lot of different, <laughs> a lot of different inkers and editors and all kinds of stuff. Cool. So yeah, we won't probably talk about all the authors of the thing <laughs> the way that we normally do, but the people who are credited on the covers of all of these are Brian K. Vaughn and Pia Guerra. Great. What is your like? Uh, prior relationship with this book, I guess my association with, with this book is it's the late 2000s. Uh-huh. I got my driver's license after college and I was driving around after college. Despite not letting me teach you how to drive. Or perhaps many, because many offers. <laughs> um, driving through the Philly suburbs listening to podcasts that I had recently gotten into and some nerd podcast, someone wrote an email that was like, what graphic novels are you into? I already know about The Walking Dead. And then this one was on that list. And this was, you know, probably 09 or 2010. So, like, right after Why the Last Man had completely wrapped, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah. Um, my, I mean, my question is how you found podcasts so many years before Serial invented podcasts. That's true. Before Serial hmm. and Overdue, I have no idea what I was listening to, but... Hmm. I used an iPod, an actual iPod. <laughs> the literal podcast. Yes. And so wh- how did you know about this book? Because I think this ended up on our list because it was something you were eager to cover. Well, so Susanna had read it okay. years ago, and I had not read it. But then she got me the first one for like as a Christmas gift. Like normally not the we... last one, the first one. Not the No, the first one. Why the f- last man but the first issue? <laughs> sure. Um, and I had not read it and I was, you know, cause it's September, I was getting to where I was feeling a little bad about not having <laughs> used or enjoyed my Christmas gift at all because there's, it's just hard to do 
extracurricular reading since all my extracurricular reading is for this podcast that we do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. already. So I figured throwing it on the list would uh, would enable me to read it, and that it did, Craig. That it did. <laughs> okay. But you hadn't, you didn't really have a sense of what it was except for the title. No, I only knew why the last man. Great, and there is the last man. Um, what do we know about this series? It was published from two thousand two to two thousand eight, as you said by Vertigo. I said that. Um, it received three. I was acknowledging that you already said that. You don't need to whisper <laughs> it passively, passive aggressively to That's, me as I'm see, going through I, my notes. I feel like we need to make this podcast more of like a contest to see who could say the most facts the fastest. Oh my gosh. Uh, it received three Eisner Awards. Uh, it was involved in some late aughts film development nonsense during the writer's yeah, strike. I have some stuff. Hit me, about yeah. Just, just How general. Fast can, like can it you was say your facts. The film rights were bought in 2007 by New Line Cinema, which seems like it was kind of everybody's trying to make all the movies back uh-huh. then. Yes. Um, but just many, many, many script problems over many, many years, kept it from being made, and then the film rights reverted back to uh, Vaughn and Guerra in, like, the mid-2010s sometime. Uh, There has been a TV adaptation. Yeah. uh, First announced in October of 2015 by FX, and it's also been kind of delayed a bunch of times. Uh, So they had cast it, but the original uh, male lead left, Yeah. and then they had a showrunner, and that person left. But they had recast the main role in like February of 2020, just before TV stopped. Yeah. So as far as I know, it is still in active development and is still a going concern. But yeah, I don't know what it is about this thing that where it's resisting being adapted the way that it is. <laughs> I think it makes it makes much more sense for TV, especially this yeah. the current era of TV, than it does as a movie, just because there's so much of it. Yes. Um, One not of the that notes. I think. Yeah, not that I necessarily think you need to adapt every frame of this thing to to tell a good story, but uh but yeah, it's it's just it's it's never been adapted and I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, one of the notes I saw about the films was they were looking at Shia LaBeouf and at one point they were like, "No, this is too similar to his character in the Transformers. We can't." It really says something about exactly when they were trying to make yes. this film also. Um and something about the TV thing is interesting, so we'll come back to that. I want to talk about Vaughn real quick. He was born in the 70s in Ohio. He studied at NYU Tisch um, in the film program. Tisch, that's French. Yes. Um, and <laughs> he started getting comics credits in the mid-90s, starting with Marvel. Uh, they had a, a program called The Stanhattan Project, Andrew, in 1995. Was the guy's name Stanhattan? No, it was Stan Lee, like, oh. but in Manhattan. Oh, I like okay. the Manhattan Project. Do you need yeah, me to explain no. this no, very I minor play? I just wanted his name to be Stan Hatton. Sure. Uh, and he wrote on a bunch of different uh, comics and then found his way to making this with Vertigo in 2002. And he's turned out a lot of original comics of his own since. Um, Vertigo and, is DC, though, isn't it? Is it? I'm pretty sure Vertigo's DC. Well, most comics writers do both, I guess. I don't know why he betrayed Marvel. I don't think that's how that works. (laughs) I don't think... They've done crossover events, haven't they? I think you got to be all in on one or the other. All right. Well, Batman, write write in and tell us how it works. Um, (laughs) Yes, Batman. His other books include uh, Pride of Baghdad, which is about a pride of lions escaping from an Iraqi zoo. Uh, Ex Machina. That one feels like he had the title first thing work backwards to what it was. That feels a little contrived to me. People said it was moving and affecting. I'm sure that it is, but okay, fine. Uh, he wrote a book called Ex Machina, which is about a superhero turned politician. For many years now, he's been working on Saga, which is a very popular space opera. He's been writing with Fiona Staples. Um, other books. Oh, is there any? Is it's not related to that video game series, right? No, not at all. Okay, no. good, good, good. Um, Private Eye, Paper Girls, We Stand on Guard. Uh, but that's just his like, not just, but that is his comic work. He was also hired based on Why the Last Man uh, to work on Lost seasons three through five. 
That would explain certain things about why the last man. <laughs> I think, and, and I or think maybe it, maybe it explains certain things about Lost. I don't know. I didn't watch much Lost. Multiple like reviews and and reflections on this series actually drew comparisons to his work on Lost and Lost in general with this book as like a good and bad thing, like things that maybe were about the characters and like not a plot that you can sustain for as long as you're working on it. Um, The feeling that you had when you're like reading it month to month or watching it week to week versus when you just like, like download lost to season two into your brain. You're like, what just happened in like the Uh course of a day? Um, And then he also went on to work as the showrunner and producer uh, for at least the first season of that Stephen King adaptation under the dome. Um, so yeah, he got it. He got into TV based on this thing, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, do you think there are 24 other comic projects that start with different letters, kind of a Sufjan Stevens sort of comic book alphabet project. And this is just the one that really took off. Did you find any evidence to support that theory? I did not, but mm-hmm. if I were him and I hadn't done that work that I'd promised to do like Sufjan, I would never want to talk about it ever, <laughs> which is my my read on what Sufjan's up to these days. <laughs> I think there was an interview with him like a week ago where he's like, I'm never doing that. Stop. Because uh, someone asked him for the billionth time. Um he most of the interviews I did find with him were kind of about the close of this series, um, so I'm I'm not eager to dive into those just yet. But just that he was you know thinking about writing the benefits of writing an independent story versus working on existing comic book characters, like what you can do with finality and you know death or change or irreversible plot lines and things. Um, which is what has attracted him to keep working on independent projects that he has created, as opposed to doubling down on, uh, you know, working for one of the bigger outfits with one of a, you know, a well-known character. Yeah, right. You wouldn't want to do, like, why the last Batman? <laughs> I would. I don't think he would. <laughs> uh, so, Gera was born in Hoboken, is a Canadian uh Citizen, I believe, um, daughter of a musician from Chile and a mother from Finland. Um, Best known for Why Last Man. That was like her breakthrough work. Uh, She does a lot of like politically oriented stuff now, right? Yes, she does. So she uh, got into comics when she was young thanks to a cool cousin that she (laughs) has said was into Bruce Lee and Kiss and was cool as hell. Plus, he looked like Ralph Macchio. (laughs) 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 and he got her into the x-men and kind of her life never you know was the same covered (laughs) um yeah well um and uh you know she wasn't sure what career she was going to go into but she was always drawing things and working on art never really studied formally for it um she was doing like commercial storyboards and then she was doing game manual art for like vampire the masquerade books in the late huh. 90s okay and based on some of that work that she'd been doing i guess you know she got hooked up with vaughn for this one and they had connected you know via email before ever meeting in person and got into this but yeah the last you know five or six years of her career if not before then because she was doing this when she was in high school she's been drawing a lot of political kind of cartoons and visual art and stuff um, one that folks might recognize was drawn in 2018. It's called Heroes Welcome, and it was depicting uh, the coach, I believe his name is Aaron Fees, uh, who was killed in the Parkland shooting. Um, and it was like shared around as you know him being welcomed into the afterlife. Um, and a lot of folks, you know, latched onto that as a as where they wanted to place their emotions there. And I think she did some around Emma Gonzalez and her work. She also did that one that I did not know that this was her, that one of Trump sitting on Steve Bannon like he was a little boy. <laughs> and Steve Bannon was pulling all the strings kind of like he's it says big boy. Yeah, yeah no, I remember 2017. Yeah. You know, um, which, you know, did a lot to contribute to that whole Steve Bannon news cycle, I suppose. I'm like. Um, 
nostalgic for that. I'm <laughs> a little nostalgic bit, yeah. for the Steve Bannon era of um, Trump pres- Trump's presidency at this point. A lot of that work has been published on The Nib, which is a daily political cartoon and graphic journalism outfit, also for The New Yorker. But yeah, but this is like her best known work. Um, and before Saga, this was Vaughn's best known work. So uh, when I started looking at his catalog, I was like, oh, I guess he also did that other thing that appears to be big. But this is probably yeah, a right. good place like, to it's dive the kind into of, his catalog. Yeah, yeah, kind of catalog where you've heard of multiple things, but this is definitely like the thing. Sure. Well, let's talk about the thing then, Andrew. Let's talk about the thing. Let's talk about why The Last Man. Why The Last Man? So this isn't the first <laughs> graphic novel that we've done for the show, but we haven't done enough. So well, we, we've done Watchmen. Yep. We did like a Did two, volume ep- two of, volumes of Preacher. Two we volumes did of Preacher. Fun Home. I feel like, did we do... Um, oh, did you did the do Jack any, the like, Ripper one. Did we, yes, I did From Hell. Did we ever do like any Batman, like Long Halloween? Yes, stuff? I did Long Halloween. Yes, that was a good one. Is that the but, one? Wait, that's the one with the calendar man, right? Yeah, I mean, the calendar man is there, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> anyway, my point point being, we have done them on the show, but we do them like once a year-ish, if yeah. that. And so I don't, like, we don't have as established a formula for talking about them, which always makes me feel a little, like, unmoored and adrift when when it comes time to actually discuss them, because there's just, like, a key component of it that, I can I can either explain to you like line by line what is going on in an individual frame, or I can we can just talk about the plot like independent more or less of the art, and just it, it makes it tough. So that's I'm just letting you know that is where that is where my Lucy Goosey sure that I've been exhibiting so far. That's L- where that's coming. Let from. me take you into Craig's corner where I've put my this is a nice corner my questions. You got for, the like the black lights up and yeah, it's nice, right? I did yeah. a little redecorating. Yeah, you got like a nice little like chair with a blanket on it. Yeah, I love to sit in my own little corner in my own little chair yeah. where I can be whatever I want to be, which is the person who asks you questions. So mm-hmm. uh, I know from the premise that there's here are my questions. I know from the premise that there's some sort of man-based plague. The um, <laughs> I want to know. About I of course want to know about the last man, but I also want to know other characters who stood out because obviously there are other characters. Um, I just have a note here that says reproduction question mark. Um, well, I mean, I, I I feel like it's not on me to explain that to you. Okay, <laughs> like you should have had a parent explain that. To I you was sick point. that day at school. <laughs> Um, and then I do did you bring you, did you at least bring your permission slip? <laughs> yes, I did. Oh okay. no. Uh, and then I want to know a little bit about what the structure of it is like to read it all in one go. I did find some interviews where he talks about having it, having at least an ending planned from the beginning. Some people, uh, think it feels pretty well planned but obviously in the middle he wasn't you know he was still writing it month to month or or making it in bursts so what is it my question is like what is the kind of cliffhangeriness how much of that is preserved reading it all in one go in the same way that you might if you were buying it individually you can pick any of those places to start and let's just get in there um so let's talk about the man plague and no, I'm not just talking about how man is a plague. Correct. I'm talking about the specific plague in this book where one day in like 2002-ish, um, we can talk about the timeline a little bit, but the short version is this is our timeline, mostly unmodified up until this plague happens. So like 9-11 happens in this universe. He did um, start writing this like just before... 9-11 and then had to change some things yeah apparently. like yeah. george w bush and his presidency exist in this okay book. okay but they but only the first term because there is a character who says that even the americans wouldn't have reelected him and i think this was written in like 2005 so of course it's <laughs> it is meant as a uh, as a dig but um so that's that's the basic thing about like the i we when we talk about something that takes place in the real world we 
like a, as an alternate history, we like to talk about the separation points like we yeah, did for yeah. um, Yiddish Policemen's, Yiddish Policemen's yeah. Union uh, last time I read a book. So, yeah, that, that's the deal for this book. <laughs> I don't think we need to revisit necessarily. Okay. Um, but, yeah, one day in like early 2002, every man on Earth dies when simultaneously I, all I, at once. Laura asked what book you were reading this week, and I gave her that pitch line, and she just looked at me and went, sounds good to me. Wow. <laughs> she had a smile on her face, wow. sort of, but she gave me a real wry delivery of, all right, that doesn't sound so bad. Listen, if ever, <laughs> if ever there was a time for not all men, I feel like... I feel like I found it. It's like maybe the one time that that works. <laughs> Just the one time. Not all men has been ruined by people who have misused it when it was not appropriate. This may seem like a basic question, but does the book depict this event or does the book oh, yes, pick up absolutely. after? Okay, okay, okay. It, pick, it picks up like right dirt. The first page of the thing, and this was awesome, and this is something I'm experiencing a lot in art lately, it's like the first page of the thing is some woman running up to a policewoman yelling about how her little, her young boys like were bleeding and throwing up blood and dying. Mm, mm-hmm. And I also watched the HBO Perry Mason adaptation recently. I'm like a few episodes in and I'm enjoying it, but I didn't enjoy the first scene, which revolves around a dead baby boy on a train. So I'm just like, yeah, having a lot of fun. Like this is this is a weird. This is the only, this is the main way so far that like parenthood has affected how I ingest art. Is I just have a horrible horrible time with like kid stuff. Sure. Now like I can't even be within earshot of Susanna watching um, Call a Midwife, which is a show where yeah. primarily okay. horrible things happen <laughs> to kids and pregnant women. Uh-huh. Is my is my experience? Of there it. might as well be monsters down there on the yeah, TV. Like, no thanks, no thanks. Can't do it anymore. Thank you very much. Um, so yeah, it it opens with this this event happening, and then it goes back like fifteen or twenty minutes in time to show you the last like normal moments in the lives of most of the characters who you're going to be following yep, throughout sure. this thing. Um, so Yorick Brown is our protagonist, and he is a like a twenty, I want like twenty two or twenty three year old, like a, out of college, but just barely, like not really knowing how to be an adult, not really knowing where his life is going, and feeling weird about it. I'm sure many of you out there who are that age or have been that age can relate to that feeling. I know that I can. Um, and he is has been dating this this uh, woman named Beth. And he is very in love with her. She has gone um, to Australia. He's in New York City. She has gone to Australia to like do some like research or, or studying or something. And um, he's kind of feeling that they're that they're drifting apart. And so the thing that he's decided to do to like profess that he is in love with her and wants their relationship to continue is to propose to her over the phone. And so as he is doing this this thing ha- this event happens and every man dies except for Yorick and his and this isn't just every human man this is everything with a y chromosome in, chromosome in it oh. including like sperm and like everything that you could use to make new males okay and and yes. is it not is it also other species yeah every every mammal but the lizards are fine. I guess. I don't know how lizard chromosomes are. <laughs> I don't know if they're different. But okay, every I, mam- I every mammal down. with a Y chromosome or like anything that could be used to create a mammal with a Y chromosome dies except for Yorick and his mon- his monkey. He has decided to train a helper monkey to feel like he's doing something like to to better the world. Again, Bef- another impulse that I can completely relate to. He was doing that uh, before the plague. He was yes, going to train yeah. a monkey. Yes, and he's named this monkey Ampersand. Great, that's a great name for a monkey. It is a good name for a monkey. So York and Ampersand are hanging out in this apartment, and every man dies. And so you, I think you you might expect that to primarily affect like characters, like people who were men or new men. Um, 
but this the book in building its universe it also goes into some detail on how that like affects like infrastructure mm. and it kind of makes a, a bit of a statement though I don't it doesn't always explore it as much as I wanted it to but it makes a bit of a statement about like the gender imbalance in many like fields and positions of power um so here is the uh, the little blurb, kind of the Star Wars opening scroll that you get after this first like prologue issue. Helpful. Okay. Um, in the summer of 2002, a plague of unknown origin destroyed every last sperm, fetus, and fully developed mammal with a Y chromosome, with the apparent exception of one young man and his pet, a male capuchin monkey. This gendercide instantaneously exterminated 50, 48% of the global population, or approximately 2.9 billion men. 495 of Fortune 500 CEOs are now dead, as are 99% of the world's landowners. In the U.S. alone, more than 95% of all commercial pilots, truck drivers, and ship captains died, as did 92% of all violent felons. Internationally, 99% of all mechanics, electricians, and construction workers are now deceased, though 51% of the planet's agric agricultural labor force is still alive. Um, and it goes on, like, talking about mil the military. Like, 14 nations, including Spain and Germany, have women soldiers... Um, None of the United States, nearly 200,000 female troops have ever participated in ground combat. Just remember that this is sort of predating the war on terror a yep, little bit. Yep, yep, yep. Um, Australia, Norway, and Sweden are the only countries that have women serving onboard submarines. Um, yeah, Worldwide, 85% of all government representatives are now dead, as are 100% of Catholic priests, Muslim imams, and Orthodox Jewish rabbis. Just saying a little something about... And I... Sometimes I feel I, I don't know if that's meant to read as a political statement so much as is meant to just like tell you the things that are not functioning. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it, I think can, it can be both. But. Yeah, it can be both. And it can have political resonance whether or not he wants that to be his primary goal. Like he could have a list of things he wants you thinking about with that prologue and maybe like. The political speech underwriting it is maybe number yeah. two or three. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, and, okay. But I, so I did to to be upfront. I did enjoy this com this this comic series. Yeah. Um, there is, I think, a version of it that was more focused on like the macro of it rather than following one guy around and like being a lot about like a love story between him and a few different people <laughs> mm -hmm. like that, that this is a lot of works of art and maybe you can tell me the <laughs> like one or two that you associate with this, but do you know, you know, like a work of art that has a, that you really like, but has a really dumb protagonist in it. I call this stupid protagonist syndrome. Huh? And it is also, it also affects properties like the legend of Korra, <laughs> which I watched recently. <laughs> I don't, um, I'm not even not even gonna say it, it works in spite of its protagonist, oh. but the protagonist like is a weak link in what is otherwise a pretty strong chain. You know what I mean? I I okay. I might catch flack for this, mm. but I think that Dragon Ball Z might apply here. Goku, Goku, he is the strongest being in the universe, but he's a terrible dad, and he's an <laughs> idiot. <laughs> and every fight is just Goku starts hurt and a bunch of his rad friends who have cool personalities have to do a bunch of stuff until Goku can make it. Mm -hmm. And like and then when Goku gets there, he's like, "Well, I'm not going to do the smart thing and beat this guy right away. I want him to beat me up so that I get like stronger and then I can really beat him up." Uh-huh. Goku? Come on. Goku, I didn't know you were going to come at Go Goku. Well, but I'm impressed that you did. If I came for Goku, I would definitely miss. That's the problem. He's so <laughs> come, fast. Come at the king. Um, <laughs> so tell me a little bit about this protagonist, though, because I do think you're. I, I want to come back to the macro thing, but I want to know a little bit more about the characters because obviously, if he made this choice to focus on them, that's something he's interested in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Yorick is a is the last man on Earth, and he is a smart alecky. 20 something white boy mm, mm -hmm. and having done that <laughs> <laughs> i don't always find it 
super like interesting sure uh, in, in literature but where the book is at its best i think it is him like recognizing that and and like wrestling with it a little bit like feeling like he is he was nobody and maybe this like his being the last man on earth imbues him with some sort of importance because he was sort of wanting that and striving for that in some ways but then finding all this evidence that no he's still just kind of a small person hmm. dealing with things that he doesn't fully understand like that that's interesting okay um so Yorick makes his way to uh, Washington DC where his mother is a congresswoman uh one of the few and th- this is another this is another interesting thread is in DC all the men die right and then the women who are left are mostly Democrats, and then all the wives of the Republican congressmen get mad and like storm the Capitol because they think the Democrats have done like a power grab, forcibly oh like taken over the government. Jeez. So just sit with that for a minute. No, thank um, you. But he goes uh, to to meet with his mom, and she hooks him up with this this woman named Agent 355, who is a, a, a black woman who is part of this thing called the Culper Ring, which was a real like spy ring in the Revolutionary War, um, which, among other things, outed Benedict Arnold as a traitor. Huh. Um, but this book supposes that it did not end with the American Rev- Revolution as we believe it did Whoa. in our world. You know, I love that stuff. Yeah, why not? <laughs> um, and and there, like, it, it has lasted this whole time. There are even like splinter groups based on certain like individual presidents and their uh, activities. But uh, Agent Three Fifty Five is assigned to guard Yorick as the last man on Earth, and he is supposed to meet up with this uh, Doctor Allison Mann, who is a interesting uh, name. <laughs> Yeah, a uh, geneticist who has been working on like human cloning. Okay, and the the idea being like maybe she and her you know and her work on genealogy can discover what it is about you that helps you survive, and then maybe also we can start thinking about how to not let the human race go extinct. Okay, so they're pretty quick to be like, "Yo, we gotta find this guy and figure out a solution." Mm-hmm. Okay. Um so yeah there's there's a a bit that I thought really drove home the stakes. Um I think it's early in the So the the edition I read is the it's the like five volume deluxe edition. I know I I believe there's like an omnibus edition there is, and yeah. there is like a 10 part one as well. But um like early in book 2 of the edition I read um that, so Agent Three Fifty Five and Yorick they meet up with uh, Doctor Man, and she goes to uh, her lab in uh, I think it's either Baltimore or New York City, somewhere on the East Coast. They're going to go to her lab and they're going to get you know some of the stuff that she's been working on, and they're going to get to work on the the thing that they have been assigned. But her lab is like torched by somebody they don't know who, and so they need to the three of them go across the country to San Francisco to her other lab where probably these samples also are, but there's no air travel anymore. Like there is, you know, a lot of infrastructure is just down um, around a lot of major cities. The, the plague, like the event happened at rush hour. So many roads are just straight up impassable and it's not a left behind thing where these dudes died and they just left behind like shoes or whatever. Like they, they their died corpses. and their yeah. bodies and yeah. Awful. So you've got like two point something billion corpses that you suddenly have to deal with. Also. Okay. So that's just like kind of a logistical issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the bulk of the, of the book is, is them traveling to San Francisco and then all, traveling all over the world in pursuit of, of various MacGuffins and trying to figure out what happened and also like preserve the human species and like many interpersonal, interpersonal things also happen. So like that, that's the main shape of the, <laughs> like story. the phrase. Many interpersonal things also many happen. Many interpersonal <laughs> things happen. Many human relations 
Sure. Um, do anything you want to say about Doctor Man or Agent Three Fifty Five in terms? Do like, do they get separate story arcs? Is it all centered around him? They they do get their own like story arcs and little bit and, and little flashbacks. Um, uh, Doctor Man is like a is a Japanese American, mm-hmm. I think, woman who is also a lesbian. Um, that's. So there are, and maybe this is the time to talk about those yeah. reviews and like the the of its timeness of this. Sure, I think I I think I just notice of its time stuff about the two thousands because I don't expect things that I like lived through to feel of their time. Yes, yet. correct. But uh-huh. one of the big and and maybe you maybe you have a have a moment or like a, an individual thing where you can tell that something is of its time. But the, the thing for me is if I see or hear a character use the word retarded as a casual insult Correct. to mean like stupid or dumb, that mm-hmm. is a clear like mid two thousands cultural signifier yes. <laughs> that I think largely like fell out of vogue in like the early 2010s ish. Yes. And for as me, as well, it should have for me that sh- the show that is like the epitome of that is is the US office like the US office lived through a lot of that like that era that we have built and the era that we left <laughs> and you can watch the comedy attempt to straddle it and watch the what we can get away with but but yeah it is just the ter- just stuff we wouldn't say anymore well, and, and some of and that shouldn't have ever said. There frankly. are other, yeah. um, like uh, we rewatched Community recently. And oh, Community sure. He has a has a character played by Chevy Chase who is racist, and the show makes a joke out of the fact that he is an old racist man, but also the show uses him as an excuse to make jokes that are racist. Correct. Yes. And have it still feel like quote safe to laugh at them, and so I think the the Office and a, and a lot of comedy in that era falls into that trap where we're we're to understand that this person is a real jerk but also we are we are and and because that person is a jerk like we're allowed to laugh at stuff that we wouldn't be able to, to like laugh at if we were supposed to think this person was a hero you yeah know what I mean? yeah and we're they're just like we're all working through how much of that is tolerable and and, and what ways are ways that you do it while you still punch up um so i did look this up on uh, I found it on the Queer Comics database. Uh, Sounds like a good database. Yeah. Um, and it just has like a little rundown of what it is, but then it has like a one sentence thing that is like, gender is discussed in terms that may be considered regressive, regressive um, by modern readers, particularly those who are sensitive to transphobia and transphobic language. I do think the, the like, the, you know, chromosomal binary here is going to is going to invite some of that aughts stuff that we would probably not i don't know would probably be handled differently and maybe you can speak to that um in terms of trans men or you know characters like that in the book um also a world full of women uh like how it handles queerness i'm not sure i found a a review from lesbrary.com by danica ellis uh, a great name for a website again. <laughs> Portmanteau, I think. Um, who really liked the book um, and talked about Doctor Man and Agent Three Five Five, and says about Doctor Man, she was my favorite character. She also happens to be a lesbian, as in she actually identified as queer before the plague, after which women didn't really have any other options, um, and just kind of goes on to say that she appreciated how that character was drawn. Um, but definitely points out that there are like uses of trans pronouns that would, you know, if you were more well versed in, in how to get that right, you would not have used them that way. Stuff like that, that is definitely of its time. I found a Goodreads review that said, um, what is it? Excuse me. Uh, this is a three and a half Wait, star. Is this, is this oh, a three sorry. star Goodreads review? It is. Excuse okay, me. This is from Aya. Um, I feel like I liked this more than I should. To its credit, the premise and storylines are very compelling. Character story arcs are interesting and fleshed out, but the inherent wokeness of said premise is undercut with what I'm thinking is completely unnecessary homophobia, transphobia sprinkled in, uh, makes for an overall great read, albeit a bit jarring at times. And that, I think, is the of-its-time thing to a T. Yeah, that that was my main experience of it, is just to take... 
um, queerness as a, as an example. Um, I think if like, uh, uh, an, uh, so we are past like the friends era gay panic yeah. thing mm-hmm. in like mainstream pop culture at least. Yeah. Um, so we're like post will and grace, like pre modern family, I guess. Sure. If you want to position this somewhere, but, um, so it, it is okay to be like homosexual or bisexual in public, but people also get weird about it and have hangups about it before insisting, Hey, Hey, it's cool. You mm-hmm. know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. No, no, I know so exactly like Yorick you catches, uh, agent three fifty five and, and Dr. Man like hooking up one time, which is a one time thing and then doesn't happen again. Um, and three fifty five is is portrayed as straight mostly. Okay. Uh, throughout the throughout the thing, but um, and he just gets really he gets really like, I don't know. It's it's not quite the heebies. That's not like generous <laughs> enough to him. But he gets really hung up on it in a way that I wish he hadn't. Mm. And the the thing he's getting hung up on is in like partly the the same sexness, yeah, it. and yeah. and her, like, so he and we can talk about this a little bit later, but but not only that they that they hooked up, but also that you know maybe maybe they were like misrepresenting something to him as a man, and so they are no longer available to him as like conquest because they were actually lesbians this whole time sure yeah 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 yeah. um Um, can i use that as a pivot point actually yeah let's yeah let's do because let's yeah so this is we can we can talk a little bit more about plot stuff um this is a a review from ladygeekgirl.com Lady Geek Girl, it's a blog post um, that said, on the surface, the last man tells a parable that could easily be presented as a validation of a mis- of a misogynistic fantasy, a story about science gone amok and women failing to appreciate the contributions of men until it's too late. But in reality, <laughs> I see why is both a rebuttal of that philosophy and attempt and an attempt to reach those who profess it. It pre- presents a world where men have to hide what they are, running from women who hate them for their gender or want to capture them as a prize or research subject. Um, a world where women are in charge and men are criticized as prudish and as being duplicitous and promiscuous, um, where being male is to risk abuse and violence um, and using that to kind of highlight the ways in which that exists, the flip side in the real world. Yeah, I Um, think that's interesting. And then, and one of the most, uh, one of the things I liked the most is actually toward the end, there is in universe, a pair of people who do a comic book huh. that is a world where all the women died huh. and only men still live, except there's one woman left. Whoa. Um, and the world as portrayed in that comic book is much, much worse than the yeah. all woman one. Oh <laughs> like, my God. Society breaks down on a, on an unprecedented scale and the skyline is alight with fire oh because God. only the men are left. <laughs> Um, which I like, I, I have no evidence that would disprove. No, not at all. That interpretation of events. So can you give us just a, like, I wanted to put that out there as a, like, what is the book maybe up to? Can you marry that at all? Do you just want to know, like, how, I do want to know what happens a little bit. What is its primary storytelling unit also? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. So a lot of it is just kind of a travelogue sort of thing like at first and in, in the first couple books it is uh yorick and agent 355 and dr man's um travel like their their trip across the u.s and the people they meet along the way um and there are you know you are always primed to run into other males because like that that is just part of trying to find out what happened and trying to discover more about the world and so the the book does tease that a couple times. Like there are a couple of men in space, for example, who live, but then die when they re-enter the atmosphere. But Ooh. one of them had impregnated the female astronaut who is up there with them, and that woman's child is a boy. And so, you know, we we are meant to understand. I think through that that it is a play it is some kind of a disease or like a man-made thing and maybe not 
divine retribution or supernatural or something. Yeah, okay. because I mean, there there are a lot of schools of thought, and this is this is one of the um, one of the things I thought was interesting while I was doing research is um, the Vaughn basically says we told we tell you somewhere in the books what the real cause of the plague is. Yeah. And I think he's even there is even like a definitive record in some, you know, some script or special edition or something that lays out what the actual cause is. I'm not going to say it here because if you want to like he he wanted the answer to be in there somewhere, but he didn't want to definitively say what the answer was um, to, to leave some interpretation up to the reader that the book spends the most time with a couple of different theories. One that like Dr. Mann's father who is still alive and was in is also a geneticist like he so he and Dr. Mann were sort of competing like they had a they had a bad relationship and so they were sort of she was trying to beat him to a viable cloned human mm. um and so he he interferes with her work and he clones her actually like mm. successfully and his theory is that something in nature detected that women like humans could reproduce without biological males. And so it wiped all the men out cause they weren't necessary anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's like, I, I don't know. So that, that's one that's theory, one theory? Spends okay. a lot of time with. Um, there's another theory that's mentioned briefly toward the end that it was a, like a biological attack on China, mm. like trying to kill all the men in their society and thus like destabilizing it. Okay. And eliminating them as like a, as, as an emerging world power, mm-hmm. but it got out of hand. Um, okay. So, you know, that's, that's possible. Both, both of those are, are interesting because like when we, when we learn that thing of, about, um, about Dr. Man's father, like they are, the characters are in China and he says, you know, it looks, it looked like this thing happened like at the exact same time throughout the world, but really there was just a little bit of a time delay. This thing traveled at basically the speed of light, but everything I've heard in all my calculations say that like China was the epicenter of it. Okay. So there are, yeah, sure. there are, multiple explanations like supported by that evidence I and they guess. kind of overlap a little bit it seems like they don't necessarily discredit each other like that's cool okay sure yeah yeah and that's so there is a <laughs> and he, and yorick even like lampshades this a little bit like they, they're they talking about after they escape dr man's father and they they are sort of just talking out the stuff that's happened to them later. Like Yorick does reference that particular, like the, the, that explanation of it, like the mother nature getting revenge or like creating balance or, or whatever. And he says, yeah, that is kind of, kind of a weird, kind of hard to understand. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the book sort of, and, and it pokes fun at the, the format of, of comics sometime too, just talking about like graphic novels and, and their, virtues and limitations as a storytelling format in the in the like conversation between characters anyway i feel like i'm getting far away from your uh from your question which is what the story is actually about (laughs) it is it's very so i mean so they go to san francisco and they you know dr man puts some things together and starts doing some work but then just as she is discovering that actually ampersand is the key to everything. He is kidnapped, kidnapped by a mysterious ninja. Whoa. And so they chase this ninja, um, encountering like people in the Australian Navy along the way, discovering that Australia is like, is riven by this like heroin problem because of so many women, like taking drugs to, to escape the, horror of their of their circumstances and so they travel around the world for a while at the same time as this is happening yorick is looking for beth his girlfriend um who he was cut off uh cut off on the phone with and he keeps he keeps referring to as her as like girlfriend or fiance like he doesn't quite know what they are because their conversation got interrupted but she is sort of allowed to be a an idealized 
person in his head who keeps him from just like screwing his way across the country Mm, too mm. much as you might like there is a version of this where he is just like a total playboy trying to bone everybody and i get as i find his insistence on being monogamous through this sort of quaint but I think it does keep the story from getting too gross. Oh, it could get bad real quick. That you know, seems like th- rough. There are definitely like cheesecakey moments in this. Yeah, like, sure. Many, many of the women who they encounter are conventionally hot. Mm, okay, and have big boobies. Sure, and do want to get down. Oh, um, with Yorick in particular. Sure, <laughs> but it, but it, but it's not. It's not as bad as you as you might. Think it would be from the premise. It's not just people trying to chase him and like get some. Okay, sure. One hundred percent of the time. Is um, there a payoff to this, like him trying to find her thing that you found yeah, so, interesting? I mean, after the the um the like the the discovery of what happened and that human cloning is possible is sort of the climax of the can humankind survive. Okay, part of the part of the story. Sure, um, and I feel I, I actually I started describing this and then I got off on a tangent, and that's part of the thing about just about talking about graphic novels, but then this one in particular where there is a lot of flashing back and then flashing to the present and jumping around in location like between issues. It, 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 there's a lot more disjointedness in the yeah. storytelling because you have like sixty issues all separated by like a month apiece. Yes. Um, or however, I don't know what schedule it actually came out on. I think, I think it was monthly, yeah. Between yeah. 2002 and 2008, that would that would be about right. Yeah. Um, but there's a they're in Arizona on their way to San Francisco, and Dr. Mann says, well, that's, you know, that's it for, like, shrews. Oh. All the, male, all the male shrews died, and it's been, like, 18 months or however long it had been, and that's the lifespan of a shrew, and so there aren't any more. And like next is rats. And she just kind of counts up through the through the the food chain huh. of stuff that is going to expire because all the males are gone. Huh. Um and that yeah, that that does a good job of like establishing the stakes of that particular bit of story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is yeah. Um the whole the whole series takes place over I I guess it would be roughly like it, it would take there would be as much time elapsing in the story as elapsed in the real world as it was being published, more or less. I mm-hmm. think there there are like four or five years that pass in the main storyline as we are moving from the year two thousand two to two thousand eight. So yeah, the the bit about the about genetics and what happened, like that all wraps up um not early, but like not quite toward the end. And then the last bit of it is um, 355 and Yorick going to Paris, which is where they have determined that Beth is. And he goes and he reunites with Beth and she had had some kind of like dream or vision or something where he was there. And so they get back together briefly. And then she reveals to him that as they got cut off, she was not about to accept his proposal of marriage, but she was about to break up with them. Of course. She had detected that they were moving in different directions, just like he had. Huh. And he discovers that it was actually 355 that he has loved all along. Hmm. Okay. Which is, you know, that it's it's supported by the by the story and it and it works for both of them. I did have a an another maybe of its time thing that I don't think we need to Sure. I, I don't think we have time to talk about that much. It's interesting that Aiden 355 is a black woman. Um, Dr. Mann is a Japanese American woman, but I think especially 355. Um, it just, there, there is not a lot of there. It's, it, it's a lot of like sort of colorblind. Everybody is equal relations, but be, between yeah, them, okay. do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it is of, uh, it is of the era that gave birth to the Obama era. Sure. Yeah. I guess where like if you go back to watch something from like the third season of 30 Rock, everybody's talking about how like race is over and everything in a way that is very mm. like is a little bit of a joke, but is also very optimistic. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. 
And it also feels but, um, like it harkens back to even like original Star Trek, right? A little bit in that just like this is the world we live in. Everyone's here. Yeah, I mean, sort of. I, I don't think that like Uhura is enough of a they don't they don't try enough to make her a character for you to oh to like i don't don't, don't even i don't know that that's a that's a great comparison because agent 355 is a is a black woman living in early 2000s america but it doesn't really come up that that is part of oh yeah background ever at all yeah not not saying that it necessarily like needs to go all the way into it or even to like pigeonhole her Mm, mm -hmm. to be a successful thing but i just i thought it was it was an interesting choice i guess and i think if if you were doing this now things you would do differently i think you would have the decision to make her a black woman would be more like considered or like more purposeful i guess yeah um you would probably explore trans issues more like uh trans men are mentioned sometimes but usually derisively and no characters sure no no major characters are trans like you you get people who um dress as men sometimes uh sex workers who dress as men in particular you get a few of those but you don't you don't see and experience like trans men in this world and i think that would that would you we would probably have to do that if you were doing this story now. I don't remember if uh, Naomi Alderman's The Power deals with that at all. I don't think so. You read that one. I didn't read that one. So I don't really remember. Because that's I the did, one where all the know, women I, can zap I don't, men. I don't remember it being, yeah. a, being a thing yeah. in that book either. But it's it's been a while. Can I just ask you about the the like just what it was like to get to the end of it? Did it feel like a thing that was inevitable at all? Did it feel satisfying? He seems to have, he claims that his 20-something-year-old self knew what the ending was when he started this. And there's a lot of interviews by Vaughn where he's like, you know, I make, I guess I could have changed the ending if I wanted to, but I had to honor what, you know, seven years ago me said because all the success I've had is thanks to him. The I mean, so the ending is just as Yorick discovers that it was actually 355 that he was meant to be with this whole time. This um, band of like Israeli soldiers who's been chasing after them because like ostensibly because the leader feels like the, per- the, the nation that has access to a man, mm. like a biological man is going to inherently have an advantage over all the other nations that don't have men sure and being a woman from israel you could maybe understand how she is particularly preoccupied with like geopolitics and like ensuring the continued existence of her of her home that might make sense yeah it's it's not but but then in the book is also doing this whole other major thing that that i don't think we're going to be able to do justice to that that is talking about like suicide and about Mm. Um, like how you act when you're when you're having suicidal ideation, and if you if this is like a, a trigger for you, then probably should skip the next couple minutes. But um, Yorick early in the book keeps putting himself into risky situations, and later on it is it is presented as like he is he is suicidal, but he can't bring himself to do it to himself so he keeps putting himself in risky situations as a way to commit suicide yeah and it keeps not working out and so he is um he has a brief encounter with somebody who like threatens to kill him basically and almost does it to like make him and this this is not an endorsement of this of this method, but like almost kills him to make him realize that he still wants to live. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's a scene of this in the leftovers that I can think about that is like very stark and very powerful. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and I think like in context it, it works, and then the, thematically it comes full circle when um 
like three. So three fifty five is is killed by this Israeli woman, and Yorick, in this like final confrontation with her, realizes that she is doing what he was doing. Is like she she is pursuing him, and she is doing all of this stuff because she doesn't want to be alive anymore. Yeah. Okay. And so he like discredits her in front of her soldiers who already had a lot of like misgivings about her and sort of ends that ends that plot line without killing her. Okay. Um, just by like making it clear that she is not like the strong leader that she was presenting herself as. But yeah, it's it's a thing that comes up a couple of different times is like you know in a world where so much has changed and the extinction of the human race seems inevitable then why why would you not just hurry it along yeah and what and so it it explores that for a few different characters in ways that i found interesting and it sounds like it kind of comes to that as part of the conclusion as like a i guess he is gonna keep going i don't know yeah yeah Yeah. and then then the last part of the book i i wasn't mm, I wanted to be more satisfied by the end of the book. <laughs> that than happens, I was, yeah, because it, it does it, it does the time jump thing. Oh, okay. So it jumps to like sixty years after everything that happened, and you find out. I mean, it's basically just going through and finding out how all your favorite characters yeah. died, which yeah. is not my favorite part of a time jump ending. Um. Okay. Yeah, I I don't know. Yeah. I don't have anything else. Yeah. But I, you know, I I think the the art is really good and effective. It is. It is. Sort of pulpy and genre-y in a way that I also haven't been able to talk about a lot. Like a, a lot of uh, people making like delirious uh, confessions. Yes. After they've been injured, that really reveals like their their <laughs> inner feelings and their <laughs> inner characters. A lot of cliffhangers in between issues where someone is apparently mortally injured. And you have to wait till next month to figure out whether they actually were mortally injured. Love or not. it. That's great. <laughs> and hint, usually not yeah, until the sure. end. <laughs> um, the I did find a fun article in the 2008 New York Times fashion section called "The Last Man Exits," and I don't read a lot of this section. I did not expect this to be like a six-paragraph article describing a party that they threw for the last issue. And here's basically what the article Why? is. The last issue. Here's what the article is, basically, Sorry. Andrew. They went to a party. Joss Whedon is here. Jeff Garland is here uh, from Curb Your Enthusiasm. No, uh, I know who Jeff Garland is. Pia, Pia Guerra met a monkey. Uh, Damon Lindelof is here. And then some people got some drinks and were sad that it was over. Like, it was such a weird little, like, what was, you know happening in media in this bar in new york for a day i was trying to find anything about this collection i was like why am i at this party from 12 years ago i would say i would want a lindelof last man adaptation but i think he kind of did it already he did it already yeah he did that already he figured out his own way to explore the themes of like a sudden unexplained disappearance except he never even like part of the point of that was he never explained it, right? No, yeah, you never know. And that was already based on a book too, but the other the, I think seasons 2 and 3 were not based on any source material. I could be wrong. This is the this is the leftovers, the leftovers for people who yeah. don't this, immediately know who Damon Lindelof is. Yeah, this book seems like it's triangulating the power, which I mentioned, the leftovers which we just mentioned, and then like some sick art. Like what if you did those two stories but then you added some good art to it? <laughs> Given your pre-existing affection for um for the leftovers i wonder if i shouldn't like responsibly socially distantly leave these books on your doorstep and just let you read them i think i think you would you would be into them you might want to tell me so that i like know and they don't get rained on but i yes i I would let you know that i was doing it okay i wouldn't just like drop them down your chimney (laughs) like the graphic novel fairy Well, that would be a wonderful gift that you could give me, Andrew, just like the gift you gave me by telling me about this book. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad I enjoyed it, too. I like enjoying things. You do. Contrary to popular belief. <laughs> you just jerked on a dime. I had a, such a great time, you jerks. You jerks. No thanks to you. 
ingrates. Uh, if you, the people we're speaking to right now, you wonderful ingrates, want to send us an email, you can do it at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter or Facebook.com slash overduepod. Thanks to Catherine Faith, Jessica, Stacy, Becca, Maddie, Carrie, Tabitha Blair, Benji, Alex, Robert, Joyce, Liam, and more. For responding breath. to our recent post, we put up uh, the Spooktober schedule, which you can check out. Um, kicking off next week with Midnight Sun by Stephanie Meyer. I have to read that whole book this week. I know we do. <laughs> oh, no. It's a long one. Get ready. Oh, no. I forgot. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. So it's that's a little scary. preview of where we're going to be next week. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there we have links to uh, Apple, Google, our RSS feed. We are also on Spotify and Stitcher and not Stitcher. Is Stitcher right? Stitcher. We're there. You can find us there. I'm confusing it with Spreaker, which was our old podcast host like three years ago. But yeah, yes. Stitcher, we are we are on it. Um, we also have a link to our new listener page. We have a link to our Patreon project. That's patreon.com slash pod. Uh, give us a little bit of money and you can get early access to bonus episodes, but we know times are tough. And if you don't have that money, we are going to release that stuff to you eventually. Anyway, have we released the genie babies we edition for <laughs> release this month? The yet? Genie babies release them. They're trapped release in the a genie lamp babies. Um, we have uh, put episode four up on the Patreon page for uh, those supporters Episodes three and four of Genie Babies will hit this main podcast feed on Friday, there you October go. That's I 2nd. October. Thanks October. to Nick Larandis, who composed our theme song. Uh, Andrew, this is the last. Why is this the last thing you're going to say in this podcast? <laughs> what? Try to be happy. Bye. <laughs> That was a HeadGum Podcast.